and I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum, and thank you all so much for being here. Yes, thank you very, very much. Before we get started today, just a friendly reminder that the latest episode of The Grim Curriculum Extra Credit is out, so if you enjoy us and you want to enjoy some more unscripted fun, check it out. I've been having such a blast with that show. Dude, it's so much fun to edit because I just oh get to God. sit back and chuckle to myself. So, and from the sounds of it, you guys enjoy it too. So, yeah, I mean, if you, you can stand our voices for a little bit extra every couple of weeks, then that's fine by me. It's much more chaotic than the regular show, that's for sure. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> the general consensus for most of you regarding part one of this series is that Robert Hansen sucked. And dear listeners, we are right there with you. Yeah, it's going to be another rough ride. With that, we do want to just remind you that we are entering some very, very heavy territory this week. And this episode may not be for everyone. Yeah, if you, if you don't listen to this episode, that's all good, guys. You don't have to. Yeah, uh... we, we very much understand that <laughs> you need to protect your mental health. And if you can't listen to depressing things over and over again, that's perfectly normal. Exactly. That's why we have cryptid episodes. Exactly. But that's it. That's your warning, because from here on out, this is going to be just awful. It's time to begin part two of our Robert Hansen series. Last week, we saw a little bit of what makes him so bad, and today things are getting much, much worse. We are going to be getting to more of his victims today as his escalation continues. You know what's really tough about this case, along with the obvious? Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that because the majority of these victims were sex workers, there's essentially no information on most of them available. We talk about the less dead last week, and we really do see this here. I, I tried really hard to get as much information about them as possible, but the lack of people who have even talked about most of them in detail is depressing as hell. Like, I'm not shocked, but damn, like there aren't even any available pictures of some of them. It's it's really, really incredibly tragic. So deep breath, folks. Here we go. <sighs> okay. Something that we didn't get to talk about last week was what Robert would later say was going on in his head. Remember that so far, the only murder he's confessed to is Eklutna Annie. We're going to be getting back to the victims today. The difference in most of these is that Robert would actually confess to the majority of these ones. They all had a few things in common. One, they were all in the same age group. Two, they worked in what was referred to as the Tenderloin District. I think that is one of my least favorite terms for a less than reputable part of the city, like Tenderloin. Ew. Like, ugh, they, they were treated like pieces of meat, I get it, but ew. I think the name is just a bit too on the nose, if you ask me. <laughs> I could not agree more. You've probably already noticed that we spent the majority of the time in the last episode talking about his victims rather than Robert himself. And in all honesty, that's the way it should be. We want to remember the victims for who they were and share their names and their stories they were more than just dancers or runaways. They were living, breathing human beings who this awful person took away from this earth far too soon. Joanna Messina was 24 years old when she arrived in Seward, Alaska. 
Back home, she had been a nurse, but she left her entire life behind in an attempt to leave her husband. She hadn't even said goodbye to her family. She left for a new life with her German shepherd in tow. The two of them hitchhiked all the way to Seward. When they arrived, they took up residence in a rooming house. Neighbors would later report that Joanna wasn't particularly well-liked and that she put off most residents due to her dog. Apparently, he was overprotective and would often growl and lunge at anyone who even came close to her. Well, and based on the, the fact that we know she was running away from a probably abusive husband, this seems correct to me. Like, of course her dog is going to be overprotective. Hello? Right? This sounds like a good boy to me. Exactly. And in the twisted mind of someone like Robert Hansen, Joanna would have been the perfect victim. Her family didn't know where she was, her husband probably wasn't in a huge hurry to find her, and she certainly didn't have any close friends. Essentially, she was the kind of person who, if she went missing, would take a while to be missed. And not in the sense that she wasn't cared about, she just didn't have anyone at the time keeping tabs on her. She eventually began working as a dancer in Seward to make ends meet, and this is where she met Robert Hansen. And don't forget, old Bob loved the Tenderloin District. They flirted and shared a dance, and eventually he asked her to join him for dinner. She said yes. The two were driving along with Joanne's dog when she offered to have sex with Robert in exchange for some money. This was when Robert's attitude towards her completely flipped. Up until this point, he was under the impression that he was just on a date. The second that she proposed that to him, she wasn't worth keeping alive in his mind. That's all it took for him to go from, oh my god, I could love this woman, to she needs to die. Because again, in his mind, he's convinced that they're out on like some beautiful romantic date. And don't forget, even if this didn't take the god-awful turn that it did, Robert is still a married man with a family at home. Yeah, hello, Robert. You pig. You absolute pig. And that's an insult to pigs, if you ask me. It really is, because pigs are great. We love pigs. They're cute. He told her that he would absolutely not pay her and then refused to let her and her dog go. They stopped at Snow River and got out of his truck. He hit her with his twenty-two and then shot her twice. He then turned his gun to her dog and pulled the trigger once. He buried her body in a nearby gravel pit. He then threw her dog and the rest of her things into the woods. When she was reported missing, there were a number of suspects. One of them was actually the manager of the rooming house that she lived in. Apparently he had a ton of weapons and the two had an open dislike for each other. It would be two years until Robert was even suspected of this murder. Another distressing note about this case is that the investigators called her the Bear Lady due to the horrible fact that when Robert Hansen had buried her, he didn't dig that deep and her body was dug up and partially eaten by bears. This next victim is another one that we know very little about. She was 24 years old when she was last seen in Anchorage. At the time, Roxanne Eastland lived at a budget motel with her boyfriend. She was last seen on June 28, 1980, when she made plans to meet an unidentified man downtown. Roxanne was a known sex worker, and it wasn't uncommon for her to meet men downtown for quote-unquote dates. She was reported missing on July 2nd by her friend under the alias Karen Lee Bonsgard. 
At the time, there were a few leads, but Robert Hansen would later admit to killing her. However, he never shared the location of her body. To this day, Roxanne is still considered missing and foul play has been suspected. I wonder for these ones, because he marked the others on a map and everything, and you'll see later when he starts to do the whole pilot bit that he knows exactly where he's going. So did he just forget where he buried her, or was there something about this particular one that made him not want to let them know? Right? Like, he had these weird allowances that he gave himself, and we saw that in part one, but there must have been something about this one where, yeah, you're right, he either didn't remember, which I don't know about that because he's so particular about what he does, so Mm -hmm. I feel like he would remember, but also there must have just been something that told him he didn't want to fess up to this one. Apparently, he had an entire speech for when he pulled a gun on these women. He would say... Look, you're a professional. Don't get excited. You know there is some risk to what you've been doing, and if you do exactly what I tell you, you're not going to get hurt. You're just going to count this off as a bad experience and be a little bit more careful next time who you're going to proposition or go out with. This makes me so mad. Right? I I feel zero guilt for saying this, but oftentimes during our episodes, I have thought to myself like, geez, I sure am glad this person is dead. And I have to say, I can't stop thinking about that here because I'm just really, really glad. Otherwise, I like the world does not need Robert Hansen in it at all. No, and this speech is just another way that he's reinforcing to himself that his victims somehow deserve what he does to them. And it's a thousand percent bullshit. Absolutely. Total incel vibes. 100%. I hate it. Sherry Morrow was born in Anchorage and at 23 had found work in the seedy part of the city as a dancer. Not a ton about her life has been made public, so little is known about her. She went by a number of names, including Sherry Graves and Georgia. During a conversation with a friend prior to her death, she mentioned that she was going to meet a photographer who was going to pay her $300 for a photo shoot. It's most likely that this particular photographer was Robert Hansen. I'm getting major Rodney Alcala vibes here and I hate every minute of it. Yep, because this photographer ruse is not one that is new to true crime, that's for sure. Many serial killers have used this particular thing in the past, and it works when women are desperate. Uh, hello, Harvey Glattman. Exactly. Robert claimed that he had shot her three times in the back with a 223 Ruger Mini-14 hunting rifle. Okay, I will openly admit I don't know shit about guns. <laughs> I I looked up this gun and it's pretty big. And again, I don't know a whole lot, but it's a large size gun. That can't be good. I feel like that makes sense. But that being said, I also I was curious. So I looked up if it's legal to own one in Canada and it is not. Yeah, don't let the fact that it has mini in its name fool you because it is still a semi-automatic rifle. And although 223 is a relatively small caliber, those rounds still pack a punch. They're pretty high velocity. And from a short range, it kind of wouldn't matter how small the bullet was. It's still going to do the damage. She was reported missing, but her body wouldn't be found until a year later on September 12th, 1982. Sherry Morrow had been buried in a shallow grave. Upon further inspection, her clothes had not been damaged, which showed that she was shot while she was naked and then dressed afterwards. 
I can't imagine being murdered and then barely anyone like knowing anything about who I was. It's so sad to me how little information there is about these ladies because in cases where that's due to what the family wants, that's one thing. But this seems to be like no one was actually talking about them. This has been one of the hardest series that we've ever done because working on this it's bummed me the fuck out. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna admit it. It has bummed me the fuck out, and I want a palate cleanser after this. Well, and not to get off in Canada, and certainly all over North America, we have a huge epidemic with missing and murdered Indigenous women. It's a real fucking problem, you guys. And if you haven't heard of it by now, you need to do your research and look it up um, because you must have been living under a rock or something. It's a huge problem where because of, like like I said, the less dead thing, right? It comes back to people don't notice or don't care when you go missing and then people aren't found and people aren't held accountable also. You know, we're really going to see that when we eventually cover Robert Picton, but it's... Yep. It's just such a tragic thing. And I firmly believe, like, I would not be shocked if there were double digits of serial killers in Canada right now. Well, we have, again, sorry, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but I do feel like it ties into Robert Hansen just because of his MO. But up here in the Great White North, there is so much land that is completely desolate wilderness. And not enough people um, in between, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. We're such oh, a does, sparse yeah. population over an absolutely massive landmass with uh, a lot of critters and wildlife and mountainous, yeah, desolation. It's very easy to go missing if someone doesn't want you found. And this is Alaska. So, I mean, yeah. I feel like that's an even bigger form of that because, I mean, the, the population there is not huge and people go missing. Like, if you look up the missing numbers there, they're gigantic. Yes, it's insane. Robert Hansen would strike again on December 2nd when he met Andrea Mona Altieri. Andrea also went by the nickname Fish as well as the dancer name Enchantment and was between the ages of 23 and 25 when she was last seen. She certainly fit his victim type. She was between 5'4 and 5'6 and had long brown hair. She was also most likely Caucasian. Like Sherry Morrow, she told a friend that she was going to meet a man for a paid photo shoot. She did not mention who this man was. Robert has admitted to killing her. He stated that he picked her up and then threatened her with a gun. He demanded that she get into his truck. He then blindfolded and handcuffed her and began to drive. He took her to a nearby service road where he untied her and sexually assaulted her. Andrea fought back. Robert's reaction to this was to shoot her with a 22 Browning automatic pistol. The National Missing and Unidentified Person System has her listed as a missing person due to the fact that she still has not been found. A slew of her belongings were found in his home. At this point, he's openly taking trophies because, of course, he's that kind of serial killer. I mean, it's not uncommon for hunters to take trophies, and in his mind, that's exactly what he's doing here. Interestingly enough, his house was actually loaded with trophies from his hunts. He had giant dead animal heads everywhere, and that was what he displayed for his friends and his family. And he also just happened to have a secret little collection that he was probably much more proud of. There's pictures of his house, and it's 
so excessive. In one picture, I counted 19 taxidermied animals. It's wild and incredibly extra. They pretty much cover every wall in like his living room, everything. There is so many dead animals on the wall. And you know what? I'll say I'm not against taxidermy. I think if it's done in a fairly ethical manner, but this borders on absolutely morbid. Right? Like, and I mean, from a home decor standpoint, I, I consider myself a maximalist in almost every sense oh, of the word, but 100% like, 100% same. It's a bit much. It, it's too much, for sure. So speaking of Robert and his trophies, we do need to get back to Robert for a quick moment. I mean, he wasn't just killing people this entire time. He was still running his bakery and living life with his family. He was also beginning to really enjoy yet another one of his many passions flying. And I desperately want to learn how to fly a little plane one day. I, <laughs> oh man, I feel like that would just be so amazing. We have a flying school in Camrose and I've decided it's something I want to do before I turn 40. We're recording this. You guys are going to hear it. I am going to make that happen. <laughs> it's on my bucket list to get my pilot's license, whether it's fixed wing or helicopter. Cody's cousin out in Saskatchewan has a little plane because he does his own like crop dusting and everything. Yes. Cody won't go up in it, I don't think, because he's not one for heights or planes, but I would love to take a little ride. I think that would be so fun. I feel like if I was able to fly in a plane like that, like I would be fucking terrified the entire time, but like, oh, it'd be <laughs> so fun. I just think um, I want to get my motorcycle license sometime in the next couple of years, and then mm -hmm. I'd love to get my pilot's license. It's all just uh, part of how I'm becoming my inner bad bitch. But anyway, I digress. I love it. And you know what? <laughs> I am right there with you because I want to do all those things. I want to like, I want to grow up. I'm, I'm saying grow up. I'm, I'm 32, but I want to <laughs> grow up and be frigging cool. 100%. But unfortunately, Robert took this and he was not cool. He was a real fucker about it. So <laughs> way to go, Robert. Fuck way you. to go. He did own his own plane and it wouldn't be long before he began using it in his murders. Sue Luna was a 23 year old dancer at the Good Times Bar in Anchorage. She often went by just Luna and she was approximately 23 years old and was around 5'2". We know very little else about her, but what we do know is incredibly tragic. What this woman endured is absolutely appalling. This is when Robert really starts making it all into a game for himself. She told a co-worker of hers named Robin Price that she was meeting a man who, you guessed it, was going to pay her for a photo shoot. It would be Sue's sister who reported her missing when she never showed up for a weekend excursion that the two had planned. When she showed up, only Sue's roommate was home who told her that she hadn't seen Sue since May 26th. That day, Luna had left the house in a cab to meet with a man who was hiring her to do this photo shoot. She didn't show up to work that day, which caused concern for her friends and co-workers. However, again, they didn't report her missing. If I'm ever missing, or possibly missing... I really would hope that the people in my life wouldn't just be like, oh, let's wait and see if she shows up. Like, please panic, overreact, do stuff. In situations like this, it is far better to accidentally overreact than completely underreact. And folks, if you're ever invited to a photo shoot with someone you've never met before, please, please bring a friend or make sure someone knows exactly where you're supposed to be going because... 
If any photographer gets angry with you or tells you that you can't bring a friend or like your mom or your sister, you cancel that shit immediately because that is a big fucking red flag. Yes, absolutely. And it's so easy to be convinced and to just like, oh, this person's great. I want to shoot with them. Bring somebody. Just, just, yeah, bring somebody because you know what? If they're good and everything's fine, it won't be an issue. And if it's an issue, then you know it's a red flag. Just keep I've, that in mind. I've done a lot of shoots and I have had someone come with me. And the same way I have literally had shoots that my friends have done where I sit in the corner just like on my phone hanging out while they're shooting just so I am there. Totally. And at the very least, don't be afraid to like reach out to people that might have already shot with this particular person and get their take on it because they'll let you know immediately what this the experience was like and whether or not you should be concerned. This has been a grim PSA. 100%. Remember that. Her body would be discovered two years later. Robert Hansen would later confess that he took her into a forest where he removed her clothing and told her to run. He gave her a head start and proceeded to stalk her down and kill her. Finally, Robert had combined his two passions. Soon, he would introduce a third. A striking comparison between Sue Luna and Sherry Morrow is that he offered them both $300, which at the time was a huge amount of money. That's almost a grand today. He made them offers that he knew they were too desperate to say no to, and he took full advantage of their current life situations. Remember, guys, if something sounds too good to be true, you can almost guarantee it is. I know that's an incredibly cynical way to look at life, but as a woman in this world, you learn to be a little cynical about things. And here's the thing. He also met them both at the same cafe. Alice's 210 Cafe. The place was a popular meeting spot for people of all walks of life, and they loved it and they felt safe there. It also appealed to most that it was run by a woman. The Anchorage Daily News reported this about it in 2001. Many will remember the 70s when Marge Dubay ran Alice's 210 Cafe on Fifth Avenue. Many colorful people from all walks of life ate there. Street people, prostitutes, topless dancers, cab drivers, cops, pilots, politicians, judges, and others. Marge Dubay would often feed the less fortunate for free and was adored by the community. So as far as these women were concerned, this was the perfect spot to meet up with him so that they could kind of suss him out. Unfortunately for them, nothing about Robert really gave them any red flags. Robert Hansen's next victim was most likely a 22-year-old woman named Delyn Renee Frey. She also went by the dancer name Sugar. Virtually nothing has been made public about her other than the fact that there are some reports that she was never in one place long enough to ever get close to many people. That's why she wasn't reported missing until she'd been gone quite a while. It was pretty common for her to not be in touch with her family back home. Tragically, when her body was discovered, she was buried as a Jane Doe. Her actual identity would not be determined until years later. Once again, it makes me legitimately sad when I'm looking for the information of a victim and there is absolutely none. This woman, she had a story and I truly wish that we could have told it. However, I did find something that I wanted to share that I think is important. 
1995, her mother went to the Supreme Court to file a complaint about how long it took for her daughter's remains to actually be identified, because apparently she had dental work done as well as a recently broken arm, and this should have made her body a lot easier to ID. However, it looks like the ball was majorly dropped and that this information was all essentially ignored. And the reason she was identified was because five years later, someone was looking at her file and realized that the Jane Doe was found with a piece of jewelry that Dylan was confirmed to have been wearing at the time of her disappearance. I'm really glad that her mom took it to the Supreme Court level because she's 100% right, especially when something so seemingly obvious was simply overlooked. It happens far too often. Robert Hansen would strike yet again on April 25th, 1983. This time, he met a dancer named Paula Golding. Now, this is when we're going to see Robert really start to perfect the way that he wants to carry out these murders. In a sense, everything before this was practice to him. However, it would be the discovery of her body that would finally have the police convinced that there was someone out there that they needed to worry about. And it's about damn time. Which is absolutely ridiculous because the amount of women going missing and also turning up dead is absolutely shocking at this point. But in the eyes of authorities, it's just another woman who made the mistake of engaging in a high-risk lifestyle. Robert offered Paula money in exchange for sex. She accepted, and as soon as Robert got the chance, he tied her up and drove her away. But this time, things would be different. He drove her to his plane, where he forced her on board. He then flew her to a remote forest where he knew no one would interrupt what he had planned. He then stripped her naked and told her to run, just like he had with Sue Luna. After enough time had passed, he found her and shot her, killing her instantly. He then dressed her and buried her in a shallow grave. He's such a creature of habit, it's ridiculous. I I hate him so, so, so much. This development of a habit often leads to them getting caught, but it also means that, uh, for lack of a better term, he's perfecting his craft, and that escalation is a very scary thing. And also, there's not too many serial killers, or at least known serial killers out there, that have a plane. He's really upped the ante with this. That's, again, they made a movie about this. We talked about this last week, but like that's why they made a friggin' movie about this because this is just like next level. He is a fucking villain. I don't think police, and we'll probably get into it, uh, spoiler alert, there's going to be another episode, um, but I would imagine the police wouldn't have even considered a plane until certain things came up. Like, because you, you wouldn't. It just doesn't make sense to. Who has a plane? I mean, maybe in Alaska, just because of the environment you're in, it might be a little more common just because people are trying to get to fairly like I desolate guess, locations. Yeah. But it... I don't know. It just wouldn't occur to me. I mean, it would now, obviously. Right. I feel like back then those cops didn't consider this. We've talked about this before and we've even mentioned it in this series, but it's so important to hold out hope that some of these cold cases will be solved thanks to DNA testing. I wanted us to quickly chat about how this is happening literally all the time. We're recording this on June 22nd and just Today, a 26-year-old cold case was solved in Edmonton because of this, so let's take a quick moment to talk about that. Yeah, so a 48-year-old Edmonton man was charged today for the murder of Joanne Ghostkeeper, 
Joanne was found in her apartment and an autopsy was conducted that showed she had been strangled to death. However, there were no suspects, let alone any leads. Over the years, Edmonton police have been attempting to solve this murder with forensic testing, but there was finally a break in the case. This was someone who was a person of interest early on, but it just couldn't be proven. Apparently, they're going to be taking his DNA and checking it against other missing women to see if he's connected to any other deaths. So this is happening. There is a silver lining to this very, very dark cloud. And we need it. We need a silver lining here because this is all, like, awful. Hella depressing. And that actually brings us to another Robert Hansen victim up until 2021. 37 years after her death, she was only known as Horseshoe Harriet. She was identified through DNA and genetic genealogy testing as 19-year-old Robin Pelkey. Robin was living on the streets when she met Robert Hansen, and it's most likely that he offered her money and she accepted out of desperation. When her body was found, an autopsy was performed that revealed she was between 17 and 23 years old. At the time, no missing persons report matched her description and she was buried as a quote-unquote unknown person. No one is really sure why her parents never reported her missing. Sadly, by the time she was identified, they had both since long passed. Her case was reopened in 2014. Her body was exhumed and a new DNA profile was created for her. It was compared against others in the missing persons database, but again, nothing came up. Another attempt was made in 2020 when a bone sample was sent to a private lab. DNA was also taken for whole genome sequencing, and those results were sent to yet another lab where they were uploaded into a public record base. Matches were found almost instantly and a family tree was created. They were able to find some of her distant family members who confirmed that she ran away and was living in Alaska. They also said that they didn't understand why she was never reported missing. When Robin Pelkey was buried again, the troopers who were all involved in her case contributed to have a new headstone made for her with her name on it. This episode was depressing as hell, wasn't it? Uh, yes, and uh, we aren't even close to being done at this point, I'm afraid, guys. I know we keep saying it, but this truly is such an evil human being. I don't think he ever saw these women as humans. He just saw them as something he could use for his own enjoyment, both sexual and otherwise. He was an absolute sociopath, and the amount of lives he took and the families that he hurt is just unreal. When you hear this case, you know that human beings are the real monsters sometimes, that's for sure. If you enjoyed this episode, um, I know it's hard to say for one like this, but hey, if you learned something, uh, make sure you leave us a thumbs up and comment if you can, or rate us five stars if the platform you're listening on allows for it. Yes, please. It really does help us get seen out there for more lovely people like yourselves. It is now time to thank our beautiful and absolutely earth-shatteringly awesome Grim VIPs and up. Thank you to Mayhem Mudkip, Kevin, Judy, Hillary, Brian, Atlantean Jedi, Pink Flamingo 20, Lisa, and Bob. And hey, if you want to hear your name at the end of our episodes, please check out patreon.com slash thegrimcurriculum. 
That's a patreon.com slash the grim curriculum. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I don't think we have anything else today. Check okay. uh, check us out on all the things, buy our merch, and uh, listen to another episode after this. It's good for your soul. Yeah, and if you need something a little more lighthearted, you know where the cryptids are by right. now. That's They're great for it. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening, you guys. This has been The, the Grim, Grim Curriculum. curriculum. Hey, hey, Charlotte, I have something to tell you. Okay, lay it on me. Moths will vibrate their genitals to keep bats from finding them. Okay. (laughs) Bye now. Bye. Bye.